And welcome, dear listeners, to the first episode of something we are affectionately calling The Three Count here on April is the Cruelest Month, a brand new podcast adventure where I, Matthew Klein, will be teaming up with my tag team partner. (coughs) Sorry, he's so hot to handle. He's making it difficult for me to breathe. But my hot tag is John Petrie. John, welcome to the show today. How are you feeling? Are you excited to dive into some sports entertainment? Uh, so I should probably say that I don't know anything about pro wrestling. I know four pro wrestlers, not, not personally. I only know them because, um, I found them when I, because I was writing a book, I was writing a manuscript that had to do with pro wrestling. And so they came up when I Googled pro wrestlers gay, um, and uh, the match that we're watching tonight has one of them. So I just want to caveat for everybody that I don't know anything about this. And most of my commentary about this will probably be about what they're wearing and how they look wearing it. So just be warned. Just beware, everyone. Just beware. So that, I think that's a great segue, John. So basically, the little journey, the audio journey that you all will be listening on is uh, John is, uh, as he said, not not super. He's not a fan yet of professional wrestling. I am a lifelong fan. <laughs> I started watching when I was two years old. Uh, I went to my, my first show. Uh, it was the 1990 SummerSlam event in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was not yet four years old. I go to in uh, in non-COVID times, roughly about five to seven shows a year. Growing up in the Northeast, I was a diehard WWF, now WWE fan, um, through the blessings of formerly WWE Network, and now through the magic of Peacock. Uh, there is literally tens of thousands of hours of amazing pro wrestling history that you can dive into. And uh, as so much of our content on April the Cruelest Month is sort of nerd-related, history-related, I always equated uh, pro wrestling in a lot with my youth as sort of like comic books. Uh, There were these larger-than-life characters, incredible mythologies. Uh, It's episodic storytelling literally every single week now with with social media pretty much every night, it feels like. Um, John, when did you first become aware of pro wrestling? Did you hear anything about it growing up? Because you grew up in the Northeast too, in the Boston area. Is that correct? I did. I mean, I knew about, what's that big one that they do every year? WrestleMania? Yes. Thank you. Um, that I heard about in school. Um, uh, but really probably talking to you and your enthusiasm for this spectacle that we're about (laughs) to witness. It's it's Um, amazing, listeners. John is so like nervous right now. It's, it's adorable. Uh, It's, it's just like, and it's going to be great. What we're going to do is we're going to, we've selected a match. It's about a 20 minute match plus entrances and exits. It's going to be like 25 minutes, maybe a video package. Um, and John and I are just going to watch. And this is one of the four pro wrestlers that John knows is uh, is going to be featured in here. And we're going to sort of do a little uh, alternate commentary on top of it. Uh, I'm going to ask John some questions about like what he thinks certain moves are called, if he can tell along with the story um, and sort of just get his take on sort of what's going on. And, and I'm here for him to ask me any and all questions that do or don't make sense. 
Um, mostly, I'm just going to ask you about the hotness rating for the for the people on screen. And okay, that that's fair. I I also do want to say I understand that objectifying people is not a good thing, but I do want to just say that since women have been objectified for tens of thousands of years, I think it's okay if we objectify some cisgendered men, heterosexual men, for like 20 minutes. So. So John's gonna be John's gonna be objectifying men. I'm gonna be talking about the art form of pro wrestling, which goes back in the U.S. to about the Civil War times, where wrestling was became sort of a pastime in the camps of Union and Confederate soldiers, and they first started really getting attention there. It was a time a way for soldiers to sort of let off steam and pass the time in between battles and marches. Um, and then pro wrestling really started to make its way from there and became for a while considered. Uh, legitimate sports. Um, there were clubs in different cities and sort of the the skill of professional wrestling sort of started to really become a huge, huge, huge international spectacle um, in the late 1800s. They were actually selling out the London Opera House for a match. Matches would last hours because it was legitimate sport at that point in time. Um, the showbiz, they argue, sort of started to come in when they started scripting or fixing finishes, uh, much like there were accusations of boxing at the time. Started about 1905 with uh, George Hackensmith versus Frank Gotch for the then uh, National Wrestling Alliance title, the NWA, which is still in existence as the longest reigning uh, governing body of professional wrestling uh, in the United States. Uh, they've got great shows going on called NWA Power. They just had a tremendous pay-per-view a couple weeks ago. You can find them on Fight TV. So uh, then pro wrestling sort of the fix was in in about the 20s. They start, the, the sports writers stopped writing about it when they found out it was no longer legitimate. And so what they ended up doing is it really went to the carnival circuit. And you would have a strongman on there and you would offer somebody, you know, $100 if you could come in and beat their strongman. Well, for those occasions, uh, you would have the strongman, but then you would also have what was known as a shooter, a legitimate wrestler, who if the, uh, if the local boy fighting the strongman got a little too good and looked like he could win, the shooter would come in and basically uh, cripple the local kid uh, and make sure he didn't win any money off of it. And they would just go town to town and you would have these wrestling attractions as they were. Um, in the 40s, the circus providers essentially sort of decided, you know what, let's set up offices because their wrestling attractions were actually getting really good crowds. And you started having territories where different cities had different groups of wrestlers and different champions and different feuds. And you would send a champion around from the NWA, that National Wrestling Alliance became the sort of governing body, if you will, like, uh, like regional theaters, right, John? So basically, like you would have if, if the, the champion was your Broadway show and he would go on a touring circuit to all these regional territories um, and put on a show basically and fight sort of the local boy champion at that point. That gets you all the way to the ace. Did that, did that theater reference sort of help you in our evolution? The, well, the theater reference helped, but I mean, it's like, was this the bus and truck tour? Was this the first national tour? First national oh, tour for the most part. The first part. national. Okay. Yeah, actually international tour even. So the, the NWA would set up uh, what they call territories. So everybody had a territory and there were different, it almost felt like the mafia almost in a lot of ways where a territory, for example, the Northeast ran from 
basically Maine all the way down to Richmond, Virginia. And then you would have another territory that started in Richmond and ended in Atlanta. And then you would have a territory just in the Houston area. You would have a territory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minneapolis, Michigan, Illinois was a different territory. And your, your champion, your traveling, what they call the traveling champion, he would go to all these different territories once a year, basically. But he would also go to Japan. He would go to Hawaii. He would go to, um, I think, even at one point down to Mexico. And Mexico has its own incredible tradition, as does Japan of pro wrestling. We will so I just want you to know, this must be what my sisters feel like when one of them accidentally asks me a question about Wonder Woman. They're yes, like, that's exactly they're like, they're, they're really interested for about three minutes, and then their eyes just blaze over. And I'm like, you're not even paying attention to me anymore, but I don't stop. I just keep going. This is sort of it, because we're trying to give the folks a little bit of a background of the performing arts. So what we have done is essentially that's a, a little bit of history. And now every uh, every era sort of has its own stars, its own champions. And right now we're in a really exciting time for professional wrestling, where it feels like there's more wrestling content available than maybe ever. Um, again, thanks to streaming services and cable television and the Internet out there, it's, it's an incredibly thriving time. And so today we're going to embark on a little journey with John and take his first steps. Now, John, who are the four pro wrestlers that you've actually heard of and that you're aware of when you were doing your research for your book? Okay, so there's Effie, who is uh, an openly queer professional wrestler who is absolutely amazing. And he was the headliner and the only in live wrestling show that I've ever seen, which was put on by a queer company here in New York. So I went to see that. Um, well, do you remember the name of the company? I really wasn't paying that much attention to it. Wow, it like, see, you could have given them a shout out here on the show. We could have told people where to go see it and buy tickets and support them, but nope, you just epic failed that one. Way to go. I, failure, comes, the cost. failure comes very easily to me. Um, and then, um, I know Tyler Bate, who's ah, like Tyler Bate. young, but like super cute. Um, I think he's about 21, 22 now. So he's, he's finally I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty freak. sure he's older than that because I would really, I would, don't think I would crush on someone that young. Not that I'm crushing on him, but excellent mustache game. Uh, and then I know Dalton Castle. Um, ah, Dalton Castle of the uh, of the Influx uh, Ring of Honor promotion, actually, who is a uh, very talented guy. Uh, I, I, have you seen any of his like costumes when he comes to the ring? Because he is a very flamboyant sort of like peacock style. I have. And I read I read an interview with him from, I don't know, like 2015 or 2016 or something like that. Um, but he has very nice hair and lovely hazel eyes. I just thought I'd share that. Um, and then of course, Finn Balor, who I bumped into, this sounds super dirty, it's not. I was working in a mall in Manhattan and I went to use the restroom and I was going in and he was coming out. And I think I said something super articulate like, oh, you're Finn Balor. And he was like, yeah, man. And he gave me a fist bump. He's very cute. He's a little shorter than I thought he was. I thought he was going to be like 6'3 or something like that, but he's only like my height. I think actually looking up Finn Balor right now, Finn Balor is billed at, uh, he's 5'11 and generally billed around like 190 pounds. He's on the, he's what we used to call a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight really. 
Um, but he has fought in the heavyweight division for many, many years, fought above his weight class, basically. So those are the four that I know. Of course, growing up a queer kid in the 80s, of course, I loved Cindy Lauper. So I, you know, watched the Goonies video and all of that with all of those guys. So I don't uh, so you, remember any of their names, really, except Hulk Hogan, who seems to be weirdly ubiquitous and has been admired in scandal the last few years. Yes, he has. And I grew up a diehard Hulkamaniac, but I could admit that you shouldn't meet your heroes. That's just the way it works. I Well, he looks... <laughs> never mind. I don't want to be mean. Um, <laughs> after, after about 30 surgeries in his back and his knees, you'd look awful, too. Well, it wasn't that. I was just sort of like this color of your skin is not found in nature. So that's probably not super healthy for you. Like at some point you have to like lay off the tanning bed. I think at one point I actually heard an interview with him where he talked about he has tie in his family and he claimed that his his uh, skin coloration came from a, a tie background a few generations back. And I was like, girl, girl, but. Girl. <laughs> Well, today we are actually going to be watching a match <clears throat> featuring the one and only pro wrestler that you've ever bumped fists with, which is Finn Balor. And don't worry, John, you're not the only one who wishes that he would come out um, there. Finn Balor is very, very, very beloved in the LGBT plus community. He's an incredible ally from them. If you haven't, he's uh, he came out at WrestleMania actually with um, an LGBT plus uh, LGBTQ plus uh uh, attire that was available for shop and went to charity proceeds. Um, he is an incredible ally and has been very, very embraced in that community for good reason, because by all accounts, he is about the nicest, most genuine human being that's ever been created, which makes me doubly mad because he also has like a 10 pack in his stomach and I can only get a keg. So we'll get there someday. Um, so have you, have you ever seen a Finn Balor match before or just sort of clips here and there? Just clips here and there. I've tried watching them, but it's not something that I can pay that much attention to for a well, number of reasons. Mo mo most of which you'll find out tonight as I, as I probably try to kindly mock, mock with love and affection. Oh, I I'll can't wait. The, the whole reason we're doing this, listeners, is because we want to hear John's mocking and my absolute sincerity, and we're going to see how this sort of mixes um, together. So what we're going to be watching tonight is we're going to be watching a show on uh, Peacock streaming services, uh, which you can get for, I believe, $4.99 a month, $9.99 if you want no ads on Peacock Premium. Um, and we're going to be watching a show called NXT TakeOver London. So a little bit of background on what NXT is. So everybody's heard of like WWE is sort of the big brand out there. They're the number one company in the history of professional wrestling and continue to be to this day. AW marks can go suck it. But that meant nothing to you, John, but that's OK. Um, what we have, though, is that NXT is really sort of the uh, if you think of it in terms of sports, they are the farm system. They're sort of triple A ball. If they were, this is a place where wrestlers go to get seasoning, learn the WWE style, uh, particularly develop a character and learn their uh, uh, camera techniques, how to wrestle in front of a camera, as it were, uh, promo skills and the like. And for a while, NXT was really probably the second hottest company um, in the US and the UK for a while there. And this is really at peak time. It's called NXT London. So if you go to Peacock, 
Uh, what you'll want to do is go to the search icon and type in NXT. Uh, up will come several different options, but the one that you want to click on, dear listeners, is called NXT Takeover. And then you're going to look for the different seasons. So the seasons that you're looking for here is season two. And it's the first one at the very top called WWE NXT TakeOver London. So while I cue this up, I'll give a little bit of history here. So uh, NXT at this point would do these sort of quarterly specials on the WWE Network where they would go to uh, some really, really cool locations like London or Orlando. Usually they were in a 500 seat sort of television studio every single week for their weekly uh, shows. But on these specials, they were starting to branch out and they were going to literally um, 10,000, 12,000, 15 to 16,000 seat arenas as they are here in London. So NXT TakeOver London, I'm trying to look up exactly where it took place. Uh, is the SSE Arena in Wembley uh, in London, England. So it's sort of attached to uh, Wembley Stadium, as it were. This is a, a smaller venue in there. And so uh, if you got it now, you're going to want to, we're going to queue this up to, let's see, uh, just coming out of it. We're going to be going to one hour, 33 minutes and 45 seconds. John, let me know when you're there. I am there. All right, this is very exciting because John, again, this is this is really the first time you're watching a Finn Balor match all the way through. So, all right, what we're gonna do now, uh, you should see uh, the challenger. Finn Balor is going in as the NXT champion. He had won this uh, a couple of months earlier. This is December 16, 2015. Uh, on July 4th, I believe, or July 6th, uh, Finn Balor had beaten a man named Kevin Owens uh, in a special in Japan called The Beast in the East uh, to win the NXT uh, championship. Finn Balor made his bones in the pro wrestling world, wrestling in Japan. He was known as Prince, uh, Prince Fergal, Fergal Dervit. Um, is his real name. Prince Devitz was the name that he went under. And so he returned to Japan, a conquering hero, won the title, and is now feuding with a former tag team partner who is a very scary looking individual whose name is Samoa Joe. So this is Finn Balor versus Samoa Joe at NXT TakeOver London in front of 10,079 fans at the SSE Arena Wembley uh, in London, England. All right, John, are you about ready, my friend? I am. I was born ready. All right. So, John, since there's really no context, what I'm going to suggest, and listeners, we're going to cut in with some audio here. This is one of the great things about WWE and NXT produced stuff is they do some of the greatest video packages in the business to sort of give you a summary of sort of who's fighting, why they're fighting, what the backstory is. Guys, take a look at this. I've known Samoa Joe a long, long time, and I have never, ever seen him more focused than he is for his NXT title match tonight. It all comes down to these two global superstars who came together to win the first ever Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, but a decade-long friendship dissolved over the pursuit 
of the coveted NXT Championship. Ten-year friendship, ten-year friendship down the drain, when, in reality, I would have given him a title shot in the first place. Listen, I'm not trying to justify what I did. What I did was a horrible, horrible thing. But when it comes to the NXT Championship, sacrifices must be made. Defined by two things the choices that we make and the actions that we put behind them. I hate to spring this on you, but I could have gone about this a lot of ways. And when they announced the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, Finn Balor, you came to me and we won it all. I want to shot the championship. You got it. But Finn, you put no action behind it. It's not that easy, actually. We've lost focus on who is the number one contender. And where does that leave me? Waiting? I don't wait. In case you people don't know, I'm Samoa Joe! And the very second I step foot in NXT, I was owned! But more importantly, I am entitled to an NXT Championship match. There's nobody in the NXT locker room that I knew better or trusted more than Samoa Joe. I don't care what Joe's reasons are. He's destroyed a 10-year friendship, and now, now it's personal. Oh, oh no! Oh, oh. It's Samoa Joe trying to put the champ to sleep! I realize that there's a very good chance that Finn Balor will bring along his demon. That piece of him which makes him almost superhuman. You see, the demon is only a piece of you. I'm 100% complete, total, and utter monster. All right, so coming back here, it is now time for the entrances. So traditionally in professional wrestling, the challenger comes out first, although it is called a champion's prerogative. Um, Quite frankly... Usually it's the good guy or the baby face comes out last because you want to have the fans go crazy. You want what's called the big cheer, the big pop. Okay, um, can we just talk for a second about this color scheme and why it's not working? Ah, uh, so yeah, so Samoa Joe is walking down to the ring. He has on trunks, uh, like boxer short type of trunks. They are half red and half black. And he's also wearing a, um, uh, a, a white... Uh, why can't I think towel to the ring, which I believe is in honor of Kenta Kobashi, who used to do the same and was a major influence on Smojo. But why is this color combination? Okay, not but working? can we just look at this color? Because there, it, it's like he's going for a little pop of red, it seems, but there's way too much red for it to be just a little pop. And then like nothing else is red. It's well, like, I, think, I mean, he's I clearly wearing color. I think it's a highlight color. It's fine. 
No, it's not. It's not fun. It's too. It's too much to be a highlight color. If he's no, going for okay, look, look at that crowd. Okay. Look at the crowd. If you were in the nosebleed section, that that is just a little pop of color. Okay. Well, it's he should really be wearing something else that's red because it doesn't make any sense. Well, so. I will send him that feedback on Twitter. He's very interactive with his fans. Now here comes. Finn Balor. Now, Finn Balor does a little something special for pretty much all of his NXT takeover entrances. So Finn has sort of what's considered an alter ego known as the Demon King. And for this one, uh, he did a really cool sort of Jack the Ripper inspired version of his moniker. So you see him coming out. So this he, is like his version of Sasha Fierce. This is his version more of sort of Demon Barber of Fleet Street, quite frankly. Right, but it's the, an alter ego, like how Beyonce with yes. Sasha Fierce. That's exactly Sasha Fierce. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, and I appreciate he's wearing sort of the the old school London style coat and hat. He walks differently. He spends about four hours getting uh, spray painted, basically. Uh, per time he does this. Okay, so first of all, this seems like the most elaborate promposal that I've ever watched in my life. So, notice hey, we're too, just going to do that. Also, Second, just notice too, the red, they're both wearing sort of a matching color of red almost, um, which is a lot of fun. Right, but this, so this seems a little more poppy, but I can't really tell until he takes off his coat. That's true. You're going to see when he takes off his coat, the makeup is not just on his front, but also a giant amount of makeup uh, spray paint goes onto his back as well. And but right after see, this, he'll be stepping into the Phantom of the Opera on London. Oh, I think he could. I think he could. Now, what's interesting is when he went down to, I think it was Texas for an NXT takeover, he actually had a chainsaw. As sort of like a Leatherface inspired version of this. So he likes to switch it up and do something a little different for each locale. Um, you can also see here Finn Balor is extremely interactive with his entrance. The, one of the cool things about him is there's an aspect to his entrance that all of the fans can participate in. And you find that with some of the most successful pro wrestlers of all time have that little bit of fan interaction in the entrances that people really get behind. So now the lights have come back on proper. Finn is in the ring, staring around like a wild man, like a demon king. Um, and the crowd's going nuts at this point because uh, they're really excited to see one of their own come back in. So Finn Balor- I'm also is, just gonna go out on a limb and say, I'm not sure how, I don't know if they're supposed to be dreadlocks or what they are. If he went for like a whole 1860s ladies bonnet thing and he just didn't tie the ribbons i'm not sure what's going on here um, it's actually supposed to be sort of like tentacly think of it almost like venom not venom think of it more like carnage because that's really one of the major inspirations for his visual look that you'll see when he takes off his garb is it's sort of like how carnage has those like little weird tendrils that pop out of him as the symbiote that's sort of what the the uh the head garb sort of represents okay. so there you go well, Finn I'm Balor still not has, sure how I feel about it. Finn Balor okay, has now see, Now broke. this is, see, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so I have a number of problems with this, but. But do you have any positives for it as well? Well, 
yeah, I mean, it seems, I mean, like I said, it still seems like a promposal. There, there's, a, there's like a lot. I'm like, I shouldn't have to get, I shouldn't have to, act one of a play shouldn't be like an hour long. Like, let's speed this up, people. Papa's got things to do. I have places to go. I have things to do. I have laundry I have to fold. So I'm sort of like, I feel as if this could be sped up a little bit. So I just want to say that. Well, to be um, fair, right now they're in the midst of doing the official ring entrances. They try and make it sort of feel like a big time boxing match at this point. They're introducing the challengers, Samoa Joe. In a second, they're going to introduce uh, uh, Finn Balor himself. Did you see the the design on his back there with Big Ben? I did see the design on his back. And it's not that I don't appreciate the body art, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. If I looked like Finn Balor, if I had a body like that, I would be shirtless and as naked as I could possibly be, like anywhere that was remotely socially acceptable. So the fact that he just gets to wear trunks and then covers up that beautiful body with paint just seems strange to me because I would I would be like, girl, look at this. So Maybe that's just only, me. He only does this on very special occasions, maybe four to seven times a year does he come out fully uh, in the garb of the Demon King, 99% of the time when you see him, he does not have this sort of pageantry attached. And I also is- wonder, doesn't, like, when the makeup runs... Like, It'll rub off. It rubs off, basically. Right, but it doesn't, like, run into his eyes or anything? Uh, it absolutely will. Sometimes they'll use that into a match, um, but most of the time it's it's actually pretty good. It's pretty sweat and water resistant. It used to not be when they would do this sort of paint and you would see guys constantly rubbing their eyes uh, because it would just get into their face. But the, the paint seems to come off pretty clean. So here they are kind of jockeying. Maybe he's born with it or maybe it's Maybelline. We don't know. Oh, it's absolutely Maybelline, baby. There's nothing, there's nothing natural about it. So here we go. This is sort of a, a, a sort of teasing out process now sort of the the dominant challenger wants to be like yeah you ain't nothing you ain't nothing trading a series of kicks now sort of just it's a feeling out process as it were so i i just wanna i just want to go now that you're seeing both guys are wearing red and black does this help at all with sort of the color profile that you're seeing in well, this well it i mean it doesn't i mean i still I'm going to go a little fashion police here and say mm-hmm. who wore it best. And I'm going to say that Finn Balor wore it best for a couple of reasons. First of all, the white is exactly the pop that you need because it's it's symmetrical. It's fun. It's in the body paint as well as on the costume. Um, and the red, there's enough red so that it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like you've just ran into like a pair of ripped pants and you're like, oh shoot, we got to get this together. So the only other pair that I have that's the same length is a red. So just sew them together. That's what just seems strange to me. Um, So if we're doing a fashion police who wore it best, I'm going to give this one to Finn Balor. I would absolutely concur. So Uh, uh, I'm I'm trying to see if there's- It's like, I don't know if this guy is going for like a Harley Quinn type of thing. Uh, because that's what it feels like to me. Samoa Joe or Finn? Samoa Joe. No, Samoa Joe is, I don't think he's really going for it. Although Samoa Joe, uh, it's funny that you mentioned DC Comics. Samoa Joe is the voice of King Shark in the new Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League video game that's coming out next year. 
Um, oh, exciting. Huge. Good for him. That's huge nice. DC Comics fan. That's good. All right. This doesn't seem like it's kosher. It's not kosher. So what John is referring to is the fact that they've both been sort of fighting outside of the ring. And Finn Balor has started using the ring steps and has laid out Samoa Joe. Now, if he were to really um, actually, if he had hit that move, technically Finn Balor should be disqualified and lose the match. And there's the momentum killer. Samoa Joe dominating with his power there, catches Finn Balor and just plants him onto the mat on the outside. Okay, so can you explain to me why they're allowed to do all of these things that are not so legal essentially whatever? You are allowed to be outside the ring for the count of 10, for the referee's count of 10. Um, as long as the referee is not counted to 10, you can fight outside and you're totally cool. But um, like using stairs, that can't be cool. It's not really I mean, cool. first of all, I know that this is... I, I it's don't want to say make-believe, but you know what I mean. So here's the thing, though. Again, right there, the stairs weren't, were going to be used, but were not actually used. And this is called, this would be grounds for a disqualification. Stairs would be considered sort of a foreign object. But at the same point in time, stairs being part of the ring, if you run into the stairs, you could claim it was sort of an accident and you didn't really mean to do it or it's not that big of a deal. So this is really where the referee's discretion comes in. But if they were and, to like grab a chair, it's over. You know, if somebody had brass knucks, it's over. You actually have a five count. You'll notice the referee in the corner. Um, if you're trapped in the corner, you have a five count to break it up. Otherwise, the aggressor is disqualified at that point. So there are some rules. So you you're can... so essentially you're allowed to break the rules, but only for five or ten seconds. For four seconds or nine seconds, yes. On the tenth okay, so or the fifth that, second, that's it. That doesn't that's seem. Really I realize. I realize that this is sports entertainment, but mm -hmm. it's like I don't know any sport where people are like, "Oh yeah, you can break the rules for ten seconds." Like who made who made up these rules? Bill Belichick. Technically, it's not rule breaking until you hit that fifth second or that tenth second, though. That's By the, the way, thing. I just alienated. Okay. I also just alienated a bunch of Patriots fans. I grew up in New England. I'm as much of a Patriots fan as anybody else, but not a fan of Belichick. Are you a fan of the fact they have a 10 and four record this season? Uh, there you go. I mean, I would care more if they're like Super Bowl bonuses weren't more money than I would make in my entire life, but sure. Totally fair. Unfortunately, I can guarantee you that the mat the money that these guys made for this match is not that level. NXT does not have the pay scale of WWE. So. Well, that's because they spent all this money on makeup and costumes. Well, also they have to. They're in London right now. They had to fly all of their equipment out there. They have to fly the 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 travel out there is insane. All their production staff, uh, the referees, uh, the the production equipment out there, their own trucks. It's a massive expense when they go overseas and do a televised event, which is why they very very rarely do it. Um, a lot of times an event like this is a bit of a loss leader. So here he's got Samoa Joe is, uh, got basically sort of a rear naked choke as it were, a cravat, I think is actually the term. Um, Finn Balor was asked if he wanted to give up. He did not fought out of it. And then what we call the hope spot, Finn starts to fight back. And then the bad guy takes away all hope of a comeback from the, the hero and starts laying it in, as they say. 
Well, I mean, if but if they're overseas much, why don't they just put everything in storage? I mean, like it can't cost that that much for storage space, and then they could just rent everything. Oh no, they're not. But they're not overseas enough to to do that. They actually do have a a small company now called NXT UK, which does have facilities out there for exactly that. Um, But at this point in time, they didn't. So again, they would only make a trip overseas maybe a couple times a year, if that, for a couple weeks. and then they would they would start flying it back. I'm not sure though. You actually bring up a good point. There might be some venues where they have more rings, sort of like locally stashed, or or kind of like you and I used to have. They would have a kit on one coast and another kit on another. When we were on the convention circuit for Valiant. Oh, poor Finny boy, poor Finny boy, staring at the lights, trapped in that corner. Now the rules of professional wrestling is. You can win by pinfall, which means you have to have their shoulders down for a count of three. Or you can win by submission, in which the opponent basically submits or gives up or taps as UFC has made popular. You can win by the count out we talked about earlier, which is basically your opponent is outside for the count of 10. Or you can win by disqualification, uh, which is essentially a blatant breaking of the rules that the referee decides to call and you are disqualified from winning. Now, the title. Here's the trick. The title can only change hands. Samoa Joe can only win the title if he wins the match by pinfall or submission. He cannot win the title by a disqualification or by a countout. And therein lies the incentive for the bad guy not to get caught cheating. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out because I'm looking at Samoa Joe's outfit here. Because that's what I'm really focused on right now. And you're not focused I, on the fact that a 250 pounds, like spark plug built of a man, just charged and dove through ropes and hit your boy Finn Balor. I well, I mean, I, we can get to that in a second, but I'm mostly fascinated. Athletics. I mean, look at this on the replay now, and then times a forearm to it as well. And remember, I'm, he just landed on his hip on concrete basically. At 250 pounds. Well, floor. I'm sure that they have padding underneath that. No, they don't. That is literally just a little bit of a carpet at that stage. There is no padding there, my friend. I Well, I don't... That, first of all, seems very negligent. It's very um, dangerous. He actually left past where the padding was on the floor there. Well, I mean then they should stop spending so much money on shipping things over and they should get better health insurance for everybody because actually the WWE does cover a very, a a large chunk of health uh, insurance costs. They're not technically, uh, but they actually have uh, some very good health insurance plans that the company allows uh, the employees to uh, opt into. They're very, very good with it. Well, I, I mean, let's hope they're better than the NFL. Uh, they are actually. Uh, WWE has what's known as the well. Oh, shoot. Here we go. A crossface on Finn Balor. Will the champion submit? Ref is checking. Now, when you're locked into a submission like this, you have to get either out of the hold yourself or if you make it to the rope and any part of you either touches the rope or breaks the plane of the rope, you can automatically get uh, out of the submission there. So it's called a rope break, so to speak. And we are seeing Finn Balor try to reverse into a pinfall. Samoa Joe caught him. And now Samoa Joe is just cranking on the shoulder. 
as Finn was reaching for the rope. And so he's got to get there with his feet. And he does. Also notice bottom of the boot has that pop of red and white. I wanted. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give this fashion choice. I mean, I would say the makeup is a bit too much of an excess, too much of an accessorization. Like Coco Chanel said, before you leave the house, take one thing off. I think the makeup should have been the one thing you left off, but we can, we can deal with that later. To be uh, fair, if you notice, the makeup is coming off in droves at this point. By the end of this match, there will probably be very little makeup there. And to be fair, if you look at Samoa Joe's body, it seems to be getting redder as the match goes on. So he might end up matching his trunks by the end of this thing. Well, I, I was saying before, I think the trunks are um, almost meant to be like a Samoan warrior, like a Tongan warrior style. Which is, I can see that. Which is interesting enough, but I don't think their flag colors are red and black. No, I don't think so either. He actually has other he has other trunks that are more of like a, a gold and black as well. He he has different color trunks depending on the night. Uh, Samoa Joe actually started out as a child performer, uh, as a fire dancer and handler, uh, as was uh, his family uh, has a promotion there, and he was a child performer for them uh, all over the islands, basically. So I'm talk to me. <laughs> I'm sort of fascinated, like where in a child's like understanding of this whole thing, mm -hmm. like professional wrestling and all of that. Where does a child be like, you know what? When I grow up, I want to have massive hip and back problems. So essentially, it depends. Like I under I understand the performance part of it, but like. You know, I, oh, I don't, the amount of contact they go through, it's incredible. Right. But I mean, I, what I'm saying is like, I don't think, a, like, I've never known a dancer to be like, you know, I've never known like an eight year old to be like, when I grow up, I want to have massive, you know, pain in my toes and have to sleep with my feet on the wall because my body hurts so much from my point shoes. But like, at some point, you, I would assume somebody, who's like eight or nine years old is probably like, oh, there's a lot of like medical bills that are gonna go on in this when you're in your 60s. I'll be honest, I think they're hoping that they make enough money at it that they can cover those medical bills long-term. Um, it's different for every performer, you know, it's it's one of the things like Samoa Joe and, and Finn Bauer will both talk about how they were childhood fans of the business um and sort of grew up and and this was their dream and they really didn't have a plan b a lot of pro wrestlers don't have plan b's when they start uh wrestling that's actually changed uh they they now you know take classes and take branding classes and go out and get degrees some of them work towards phds actually a couple of them have come out and talked about their master's degrees they're getting so the pro wrestler of today is extremely more well-rounded and, quite frankly, fiscally responsible uh, than in previous generations. It's evolved. Well, that is good. Nice. I hope they provide. I hope these companies provide them with um, fiscal planning resources and financial planners. They do. They do actually. Um, WWE is renowned for. It, it's not talked about a lot, but they actually do have fiscal planners. Um, accounts. Oh, here we go. So Samoa Joe is looking for his finishing move. That's called the muscle buster that uh, Finn Bauer just reversed into a pinfall attempt. And you saw the fans recognized it instantly and just like came out of their seats there. 
I would not call that a muscle buster. I I, would call I'm not that... going to call it. The, the giant Samoan calls it a muscle buster, and I don't argue with him. I would call that flash your opponent's ass to the audience. And I would also say thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Not you. I, thank no, you for I, showing me Finn Balor's. On, on behalf of Samoa Joe, I'm telling you you're welcome. Okay. But here you go. I think we're, yeah, I mean, we're a good chunk into this match now. You start seeing them. It's an interesting thing. It's like pacing a story for a live crowd or pacing a performance. They, they speed up, they slow down, they speed up, they slow down, um, trying to find ways. Like if they go too fast, the audience can't follow it. So they start sort of giving those emotional highs and lows and find ways to sort of bring them back in. And that's really one of the art forms because they're listening right now. While they're performing, they're talking to each other calling their spots. They are listening to the audience to see if they're getting the reactions that they want or what reaction to go off of. They're also communicating with the referee this whole time. So the ref is generally aware of the finish and knows a couple of the what's known as the big spots, the big moves that are going to be coming up. Um, the ref also has an earpiece and is communicating with the truck, the, the production truck. So the ref is keeping track of the time the ref is keeping track of sort of when uh, the match is going to have to what's called go home or go to the ending. Um, so there's a lot of, of moving parts in every single professional wrestling match that you see. And it's why the referee is such a crucial performer in the mix. And the refs never get the credit they deserve. You and I actually know uh, we have a mutual friend who is a former professional re wrestling referee, Anthony Merced. Oh, Yes. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Shout out to Anthony. Anthony actually refereed in Madison Square Garden for a match um, and walked out of there with a WWF title belt that The Rock took to the ring that night. Uh, he still has it. It's amazing. It was, it was a gift. He was allowed to take it. I'm not, not busting his balls on that, um, but it's very cool. So, so again, here we go. And then what's interesting to me is I, I've never quite understood sort of the, oh, there he goes, the demon force has sort of rejuvenated Finn Balor. You notice like the taping these guys do is insane to me. If you look at like the tape on Finn Balor's knuckles um, that are there, you see a, the amount of tapes on the wrist. So these guys are probably at the end of like a week long tour. They've been wrestling at least once a day in a different town for a week. Um, and that's the biggest grind people say and how people get injured is the amount of travel these guys do from town to town to town every day. All right. So here the crowd is going nuts because Samoa Joe is prone on the ground in front of the corner and Finn Balor is going for what is known as the coup de gras. This is his finishing maneuver, which is a double stomp off the top. But Samoa Joe has reversed it and is now going for his muscle buster. But there goes Finn. Ow, that's a, ooh, that kick to the back of the head is going to hurt. Um, so, again, you've got, you've got about 440 pounds worth of mass on that second turnbuckle right now, which it's a real testament to these guys who put the rings together. There you go. Finn Balor hits the coup de gras. 
the one, the two, the three, the match is now over. Finn Balor remains the NXT champion here in London. He has vanquished the monster of Samoa Joe. The fans are standing. You can see them in the front there. No one is sitting down. The champion has vanquished his enemy and barely has the strength to lay claim to the title he has so valiantly fought for. And there, my friends, we have it. The completion of the very first full-length match that John Petrie has watched. Wow. There you go. <laughs> I'm wondering how many pro wrestling fans I pissed off tonight. Very few. I mean, how many are going to listen to this show? So, very I, few. Well, I don't know. I'm assuming all of your wrestling friends from the internets and the interwebs will be there. Will be there listening. are no wrestling friends on the internets. It's a very, very, very harsh community of people. It's 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 right up there with any diehard fandom that you see. Um, but there we go. Showing the replays now of some vital parts of the match. All right. So but here's yeah. my... Oh, I'm sorry. Should I give you my, my Not thoughts? Not at all. You can absolutely give it right now. They're just going through the replays. So we are pretty much uh, at the end of this watch. So, so John, what are your thoughts now, having watched your first full Finn Bauer match? Well, I mean, I admire the athleticism. And by the way, did a front flip over the top rope. So kudos to you. I'm assuming they all must do some gymnastics training at some point. Um, so... I admire the athleticism. I can't say, I, I mean, I understand the story because you told me, but I can't say that like I was terribly emotionally involved in it, if that makes sense. I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's kind of fun. Oh, that's neat. Um, but I can't say that I was like emotionally involved. So basically right now you're, you are impressed with the athleticism, but you have not found a story to grab you yet. Well, I mean, it's like, I would imagine that these stories, oh, he's bleeding. That can't be good. Yes, Samoa Joe is bleeding from the mouth as he's being carried out of there, which is a great dramatic effect there. So it, it's essentially what I would say to like, watching the East Enders, that British soap opera on PBS where they would like randomly play episodes and you couldn't really follow the story because, you know, which is, I guess, fine. But I mean, I understand they're telling like a, you know, 20 minute story or whatever in the match itself. But as like far as a larger story, it's like, am I supposed to watch this every week? Like, you, it's just, it's like watching the news. It's like you miss two days of the news and you're like, I just can't fucking catch up. So I'm not going to watch this again. And then you just <laughs> don't watch the news for like three weeks. And then you bring up an excellent, you bring up an excellent challenge uh, for this. And it's something that we, we talk about in comics too, right? Which is how do you, how do you give, make a story, at every point someone can tune into it accessible enough that they can a follow it b try to get emotionally involved in it and c how do you get them to come back and check out the next installment 
So it's it's a real challenge. And wrestling companies do it 52 weeks a year for the most part. So it's literally every single week they have a new episode they've got to do on a pay-per-view weekend like this or a special weekend now. They're doing it two times a week, which is Listen, much more. I am happy to show up for hot, sweaty men rubbing on each other in what is clearly the most homoerotic sport in the world that apparently everybody else doesn't realize yet or realizes is completely okay with it because they can ignore it. I think it's it more, I think it's more they realize it and are secretly okay with it without acknowledging it. But So, I mean, that aspect of it is fine. Um, and I'm, I mean, it's not, I'm, again, I admire the athleticism. I admire the hot, sweaty bodies. Um, I, that wasn't what I was going to say, but Finn Balor is just standing there and the makeup was rubbed off and he was like full flying nips to the wind. So, well, which you I don't have really... my Peacock account now, John. So, if you want to go back and watch more later in your private time, you're more than welcome to. I I may. So, like that part of it, I understand. Oh, should I stop this? Yeah, you can stop it. Okay. We're we're done. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if I should just let it run to the next episode or something. Um, so like that part of it, I get, but I don't know that I'm like. Mm. I mean, because I... the stories. It's it's literally like reading a comic book every week where you're like, the story goes on and on. And it's like, are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? Which, frankly, if I was like nine or 10 years old watching this, I would be very confused because I would be like, there's no such thing as an all good person because they just become bad. Like, it would be all be very confusing to me. And there's a whole lot of like weird subtextual thing in this like friendships breaking up over jealousy and things like that. I'm like, okay. I, I mean, on one level, I'm glad that pop culture is doing that between two men because generally it's two women that are like jealous of each other. But oh no, jealousy! Jealousy is one of the oldest stories in professional wrestling. Jealousy between two men, between two male performers. Um, you know, uh, and I'm sure I wonder, there's. A... I wonder, John, if for a future match, we need to figure out a way to pipe in the commentary to help with sort of telling the story there, because you and I really. Be, because of our, our audio setups today, we really couldn't have the, the commentary do its job for us, which is the sort of, if the, if the action in the ring is the melody, it's been said that the commentary is the lyrics to the song, right? And I do wonder if maybe next time on our journey, we'll, we'll find a way to get those lyrics told in there. Maybe that Yeah, well, I mean, music is, in theory, the most powerful thing. Like music has the ability, like music without lyrics is the ability, you know, it's why opera, or not opera, it's why classical music is so powerful and so many things are set to it. Um, happy to watch another match. I would sincerely like some better fashion choices. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Ooh, um, I have an idea or two. You, you've given me a, a little bit of an idea. Yeah. Um, unless we're just going to watch people's like, um, you know, unless we're going to do like a who wore it better just for like 20 minutes and I can just make fun of what people are wearing. Um, that being said, again, if I had Finn Balor's body, I would just be walking around in a pair of Speedos 24 seven. I'd be like, Oh my God, you guys, it's 40 degrees out. It's so hot. Let me take off my shirt and my pants. Um, uh, well, I think, I think that's the note to end on right now. It's just, <laughs> I want, I want all of you dear listeners to find 
a, a place in your life that gives you that kind of confidence to the equivalent that you would just walk around in your Speedos with no shirt and no pants. And I hope that you all find that. Well, John, I want to thank you for, for indulging me here on our first uh, episode of The Three Count um, as we watched Finn Balor valiantly defend his title against the monster Samoa Joe at NXT TakeOver London. And I do hope uh, that you come back. And I hope that you come back, listeners. We're going to keep tweaking the show. We're going to sort of find our footing here. This is just sort of a two friends had a wild idea and we're trying it out sort of pilot as it were. So I've got some ideas for next, uh, for the next episode that you're going to find here on April's the cruelest month. Now, John, where can the fans uh, find you for all your social media goodness? Uh, And I asked that question in jest because John hates social media, but where can they find you if they want more? Uh, I have a Twitter account that I check like once a month. It's true. Um, that's John Petrie Wright, W-R-I-T-E. And I wouldn't even check it once a month if I could figure out how to make the freaking notifications stop going to my email. But I haven't figured it out yet because I'm only on there once a month and mostly it's just to make the notifications go away. But that's where I am. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. Sorry. Yes, and this is why John lives a happier life than all of us who are still addicted to our social media channels. Uh, Anything you want to plug coming up, John? Uh, anything here on April's the Cruel's Month that you want to talk about? Uh, well, as we always have our comics corner, um, we have season one of April's Cruel's Month that was completed. So if there's an episode that you're missing, go back and listen and reach to reach out to us on those socials, the Cruel's Month, uh, so that we can um, we can hear from you. We would love to hear what you liked, what you didn't like. So that way, uh, if we get to a season two, we will be even better than before. Well, and uh, make sure to keep an ear out for even more content coming on April's The Cruelest Month here. You can find us on at The Cruelest Month on Facebook uh, and Instagram, and as well on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, um, wherever you happen to be listening already, you're probably already there. You found us. That's why you're listening to our voices right now. So uh, we're just going to, Josh, edit that out, would you? You won't. But... But thank you so much. Uh, Keep an ear out. We are going to have more cool content coming your way. I believe we're going to have another Comics Corner coming up uh, to tie in with the Hawkeye finale. We are going to be doing a sort of year-end wrap-up with all the crew, including Kelly, Josh, John, and myself, and much, much more to come in the new year. So even potentially another episode of the three count. If John is still willing, I promise we'll go back to the eighties where there is a ridiculous amount of costuming for our next one. Uh, possibly we'll, we'll bring in the, the macho man, Randy Savage for you who had some of the most elaborate ring gear of all time, but thank you all. And for goodness sakes, whatever you do out there, don't be cruel. <laughs>